0: Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking.
1: As the smoke in the global theater thickens, the exit signs will shine brighter. Now is the moment where change might become possible. So the last thing we should do now is give up. It is here and now, I think the next 10, 20 years, we need to turn this around and we can.
2: You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable
0: living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace.
2: We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver
0: ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now,
2: let's dig in.
0: How's it going? Good morning, Emma. It's going great. Sitting here in front of my window with my coffee. Mm, Nice. Nothing better. Well, I can think of something better than that.
2: I talked about this, I guess, about a year ago. Cam and I went on a wind jamming cruise in Maine for (laughs) three days. We were on a boat and we honestly had never heard of it. We sort of did it as a, honestly, a way to save money (laughs) to go around Maine in August because we wanted to like bop around little towns. But August is a really busy and popular month in Maine. So doing that looked like it was going to add up to a lot. So then I found this boat where it was like, you just stay on the boat for three days. And well, you can stay on there for much longer, but we did the shorter trip and food included. There's a chef on board that cooks for you. And you go around, sail around the Penobscot Bay and see Maine from the coast. So you see all these different spots and you sleep in a different spot every night, but you're on the boat. And it was just the best. It was the best. So I will tell you, holding your cup of coffee and looking out at the Penobscot Bay on an August morning might be better.
0: (laughs) Depends. Well, that sounds just incredible. And I know when you came back from that trip, you guys were just, it was the best thing ever. And you had all of us convinced that we needed to immediately go and do a windjammer cruise. I know we still haven't. we got to do that. Well, I'm sure it's something... We'll do as a family someday because of your very, very high recommendation.
2: It is the definition. Anyone listening who is interested in slow living, it is a definition of slow travel. It's just so great because you get all the stuff about traveling. You see different things every day. You're in nature, but you don't do anything. You just sit on the boat. It's so great. I mean you can't get off the boat but
0: well it goes into different ports and you get off and you can walk around and then get back on and go to the next place right yeah kind of like a cruise it's like
2: a cruise on a smaller vessel yeah it's a wooden sailboat too so that's another part <laughs> that's like slow and sustainable about it is it's using wind to get you around So I bring that up because today's interview is with a couple of sailors and we'll get there in a second. But I was just thinking about that as I talked to them. But before we get there, I did want to mention if you are a listener here, you know about the Almanac. It's our online community platform. We've got a lot going on in there. We've got an awesome fall book club happening. We've got monthly gatherings where we meet I'm currently running a group of folks working through the Artist Way book that's not currently open for enrollment, but all of these things are happening inside the Almac. It's a really fun place to be. So you can learn all about that at the link in our show notes. And then also make sure while you're there, you at least sign up for the Lady Farmer newsletter, so you know what's going on with us and the brand and our podcast. So we'd love to have you on there.
0: Yeah, I'd also like to mention that coming up this weekend in the Almanac, we have a Skillshare session presented by one of our members, Meredith Bowen, on home composting. You're not going to believe this, Mom. I'm just going to interrupt you really quickly.
2: I just looked out my window and I'm going to take a picture to prove it. The city of D.C. just dropped off, as you were saying that, my new compost bucket because I (gasps) just signed up for the compost pilot program where they're going to bring composting to the city, like with your trash. Not everyone's doing it. There's like 12,000 residents or something, but I signed up for like the lottery and we got it. And a person from the city just came and dropped off our bucket. Gosh, that's some kind of
0: sign, isn't it? That's so crazy. You were
2: just (laughs) talking about that, right? So home composting in the Almanac. Where were you?
0: Yes. And if you caught our bonus episode from September where we talked about how everybody can make good dirt and be responsible for making good dirt and home composting is such a really, really great and accessible way to start. We talk all about that. So yeah. And we have the session coming up in the Almanac this weekend to kind of follow up on that. So if you've been thinking, hmm, I might join the Almanac and haven't gotten around to it yet, this is a really good weekend. So come on in and join this session on Sunday with our Almanac member, Meredith Bowen. Yeah. And yay, Meredith. We love Meredith.
2: So shout out, Meredith. So back to today's episode. I'm very excited about this one, not just because I love boats and sailing and I had so much fun in Maine last year, but because Floris and Ivar are just such joyful people and they're just such bright lights. And it was so fun chatting with them. They are two Dutch sailors that joined our call literally from the middle of the ocean. I don't even know how it worked. It got cut off a few <laughs> times. We had some technical difficulties, but thanks to our brilliant editor, D, shout out D, she has been able to <laughs> string it together. And wow, modern technology. It's amazing. But Floris van Hees and Ivar Smits, two Dutch sailors, they've been on a voyage of discovery around the world since 2016 in search of solutions to the challenges that the earth is facing and that we're facing. So as Sailors for Sustainability, which is the name of their project, Sailors for Sustainability, they document these solutions by writing articles and making videos about them. They not only wish to inspire with positive examples, but also call on people, companies, and governments to apply the solutions that they document.
0: They also live as sustainably as they can by moving their floating tiny house around on wind power, harnessing renewable electricity, catching or buying local and seasonal food, and using sustainable products and brands. You can follow them on their website. And the last I checked, they were somewhere off the coast of Venezuela. These guys are not only determined, ingenious, courageous, and outrageously committed to their cause. They are fun. So much fun. We enjoyed hanging out with them, and you will too. So here's Floris Van Hees and Ivar Smits, the sailors for sustainability.
1: Two sailors from the Netherlands. And we're on a sailing trip around the world in search of what we call solutions to today's sustainability challenges. So our project is called Sailors for Sustainability. And we look for examples in all fields like buildings, climate, community, economy, ecosystems, energy, nutrition, spirituality, and transportation, all areas that influence our daily living. And we look for examples that show that there are more sustainable or future-proof ways of doing things. And by documenting these proven solutions from around the world, yeah, we aim to inspire people and not only people, but also companies and governments to change their habits and accelerate positive change. A bit of personal perspective from myself. So I'm Ivar. From when I was born, I spent a lot of time on board sailboats because my parents had a boat and later I had my own boat. And I also became a part-time sailing instructor. So sailing was my passion from very early on. And through the sailing, I experienced the wildness uh, of the sea and the coast and the stunning beauty of the coast and the islands. And the more time I spent in nature, uh, the more I also realized that we humans are dependent on nature and I became more and more interested in climate. And that's not a big step as a sailor. You're very much into the weather and the weather predictions and models. And climate really caught my eye. And I was reading everything there is to read about climates for a few decades now. And the more I learned, the more worried I became about the trend. And I also realized how vulnerable nature is or the humans are, how far reaching the consequences of climate breakdown can be if you don't to change course in time. So I realized that nature is vulnerable but we humans are also very much dependent on nature so in my professional life i was trained as an industrial engineer but i increasingly started focusing on on sustainability within the companies that i was working for so i was also at cambridge on a sustainability course became a sustainable sustainability manager at a large multinational company however i felt like i was an activist or more or less an NGO within the company fighting for the company to become more sustainable within the limits that, you know, were possible within the system. Uh, But at the same time, I always had a dream of sailing around the world. I was actually with that dream in mind that I bought the boat that we are on right now, the Lucipara 2, which I bought back in 2004.
3: Yeah, so that actually takes me to my background. Before I met Ivar, I actually grew up in Switzerland, two Dutch parents, But I was there surrounded by beautiful nature. And from a young start, I started to appreciate nature. Also because the protection of nature is quite a prominent political item in Switzerland. But then I moved to the Netherlands, to my home country. And during my studies, I immersed myself more in human rights and democratization. So you could say maybe the social aspects of sustainability. But I did eventually end up working as a lawyer for a big commercial law firm. But the drive to sort of work for the greater good never really went away. And at the same time, I've always had a passion to immerse myself in different cultures. I lived in the United States for a year, and I had that dual background of from the Netherlands, but growing up in Switzerland, I spent years living in France, Finland, Italy. I always learned from those experiences a lot. That passion to travel and to see more from the world has always been there and when I met Ivar in 2012 he actually convinced me that sailing around the world was the best way to see the world because you can do it in a sustainable way. You will only use the wind mostly and you can be sort of fossil free or carbon neutral while you're traveling. But at the same time we looked deeper, we discussed our plans to travel but also about our passions in life and what we want to do with our lives. We look deeper into the crisis, such as climate breakdown, biodiversity loss, inequality and human rights abuses. We really, it really became clear to us that fundamental change is necessary on so many levels, not just for the planet, but really for humanity to survive. So we made it our mission to highlight solutions that bring an ecologically sound and socially just society closer. We discussed how we would do that because in our busy jobs, we felt, you know, we're not really contributing that much to society. We wanted to do more. And, you know, when, when we combined that wish with our dream of sailing around the world, the pieces came together to sort of set up a foundation called Sailors for Sustainability that had as its mission to sail around the world and collect positive, inspiring examples that can help people visualize this more sustainable future. After many, many years of working on Ivar's boat, I mean, he had it, but there had to be so many improvements also to make it more sustainable, sort of more self reliant with solar energy and wind energy that we generate ourselves. And we uh, have a water maker. That we installed so we can make our own drinking water from seawater. So that all took a lot of time and a lot of hard work, but finally the boat was ready in 2016 and we set sail to go on this mission. Uh, and, and we left behind not just our jobs, but our hometown, but also family and friends and really security. We didn't know how it was going to go, if our mission could be successful, but that was the big adventure we started Uh, Now, almost seven years ago.
2: So you've
0: been living in the ocean for seven years? Yes. Wow. I'm just curious to hear what, you know, your friends and family said. Did they they say, oh, you're crazy, please don't go, or wow, good luck, or both, all of it? (laughs) What were the reactions? They,
3: oh, we're going to go live at sea. I would say both, (laughs) but also because we were a little bit... Maybe either we were naive or we we were uh, on purpose a little bit vague about how long it would take because we said, oh, we might be gone for three to five years. But, you know, it's been seven now and we've, we're have we three quarters around the world. So our families, they had mixed feelings because we were leaving them. Our friends, they saw opportunities to visit us. So that was nice, but I don't think they realized that we would be gone for that long as well. but. I must say a lot of our friends are adventurous themselves, So, and a lot of them are sailors. So they applauded and they supported the mission.
2: So the end goal is to get all the way around the world, correct?
3: Correct. The end goal is, and especially now it's getting to our last leg, which is to sail back from South Africa via the Americas to back to Europe
1: and the Netherlands.
2: Would you go across the Atlantic and what is that? West and then back east to Europe or?
1: Correct. We follow the trade winds more or less, which means we sail west, well, northwest towards Brazil, the Caribbean islands. And the plan is then to sail along the U.S. Eastern coast to Canada. And hopefully if we are in the right season, we need the summer season to be in Greenland, Iceland, to see the high north, the Viking route, is it called back to Europe? That's the plan.
2: Wow. So seven years to sail around the world. Okay. And as you started out, the first thing you said is you're seeking solutions to the climate problem. And are you compiling them in any way? Is there any, how are you documenting your journey? And aside from the mission of just completing it, is there something else that you're looking to produce from it?
3: We do two things. We write articles about each solution that we document. So we visit person or an organization or a company or government representative and we interview them we take pictures and that turns into an article that we always publish on our website in English we always also write a piece for a sailing magazine about it in Dutch and then we try to distribute that article as widely as possible through social media or through other magazines that might be interested, any outlet that will publish it. That's always a a difficult part to reach people, uh, you know, and be found on the World Wide Web with all that information.
1: Yeah, but we also make a, a video about it. So we also vlog, we are on YouTube. And we have been documenting 60, what we call sustainable solutions around the world in 29 countries so far in the last seven years. So we're still having a lot of interesting stories on the radar going forward and the end
3: product i think we also want to turn everything into a book because something physical also invites people to read and peruse and
1: it's another way to get the message out yeah we feel we need to get the message out because there's so much great stuff happening out there that is already working so we, we ourselves have become much more enthusiastic about how we can solve our predicament because of all the people we met and all the great examples we've seen. And we really feel like, oh my God, if everyone just knew this, there's so much that everyone can do. And yeah, so this, and this positivity or inspiration, as we call it, we feel it highly necessary because it's very easy to get depressed or cynical or in denial or retreat in this ocean of bad news that people are currently experiencing. And we feel that if only people know about alternatives and successes that have been put into practice elsewhere... And they also get started into acting positively in some sort of way and then take steps from there that actually can work not only on an individual level, almost like therapeutically to have a better feeling about your own perspectives, but also as a society, we just need a lot of people changing their ways. And it's just so, so much that people can do.
2: Yes, I'm so glad you said that. And do you have any examples of like off the top of your head of some exciting things that, oh, this is so simple and if only people, more people knew about it.
3: We have many of those yes. because for every, every article we write, we include a section, what you can do. So in all the 60 articles that, that are on our website now and out there on the uh, online, we give tips of what people can do themselves. It goes from your choices as a consumer. Let's say we did a story on zero waste so you as a consumer can select you can buy products from the market or from a supermarket without packaging so you're saving uh, a lot of pollution uh, potential pollution you can buy locally uh, you know what is produced in season and what is produced locally rather than what is imported and out of season from far away just, that's just on one small thing like uh, shopping Another one can be about education are you involved in your children's education are you involved in getting your school to be implementing a more green agenda we have visited schools that are that have uh, you know green programs where children from a young age learn all different kinds of aspects about the planet and, and energy and sustainability be it you know growing their own food or installing solar panels and the children learn about solar energy or the children go out on nature excursions to learn about threats to the environment or pollution or about endemic species that that are under threat of extinction because of invasive species or because of pollution again how you as a voter can have an influence when you look at political parties, what they stand for, do they support a green agenda of the community you live in, of the municipality or of the state uh, or of the federal government?
1: Uh, we, because we Yeah, feel- but there's so many things that are very easy to jump on. And obviously a lot of people and uh, listeners to your show already know that, like, you know, eat more plant-based food or like, you know, use solar energy, uh, like your personal life, style choices only go so far. Obviously, most people realize that we need system change. We need a lot of change. and We have very little time to achieve that. But I think it is important to adopt these personal lifestyle changes because they have a ripple effect elsewhere. And I think and that's something that we've done, like, you know, you you just deliberately scale down, like we, we've been living on a floating tiny house for seven years. So we sold our, our house, our cars, and your lifestyle becomes a lot lighter. You have less stuff to worry about, but you also have more time. You have more time on your hands to, well, to do the things you really like, to adopt a more slower lifestyle and to to catch your own fish and to buy your own food, do your own cooking, look at healthy stuff, save a lot of money doing that. So you actively step out of the rat race in a way and make time for the things that you really care about. So I think that is maybe a bit more difficult for people to jump on, but that's something that really ties into, yeah, you could call it the degrowth agenda. Because obviously one of the things that we have to tackle as humanity is that we cannot keep on growing economically and financially on a finite planet. So we have to find a smart way to tackle that and actively consuming less or sharing more. Like we found examples of the sharing economy and that's very cool, but because it also saves money and resources like sharing a car, sharing tools. We've seen examples around the world of people doing that. That all helps, but there's also things that sometimes people not immediately think about. Like for example, currency that's not based on interest that is not born into existence as debt. So if you think about the economy, like the the economy needs to grow in order to sustain itself. It's almost like a bicycle. If you don't continue cycling, you will fall off. So the economy needs growth, which means that we have to constantly create more money to do that all. And, And that will not work in the end. So we need to come up with a better monetary alternative. And we were in Italy on the island of Sardinia, where... Five Guys founded Sardex, which is a local digital currency that works without interest. And it supports a, yeah, you could say circular economy, which is much more locally based. So it's kind of a technical story, but it's fascinating. And it's very successful, not just on the island of Sardinia, but also on Elsewhere in Italy, where they're expanding the idea and the and the concept. And another great example that we found was in Spain. We visited Mondragon, which is the largest cooperative organization in the world. And they, they operate on the basis where the employees are owners of the company. And they, they have a kind of democratic system at work where they together vote on the management, on the remuneration systems, on the strategic aims of the company. And they're all invested. They all share the profits or they, you know, share the losses in bad times as well. And it's a much more socially equitable way of working together. So these are just, you know, examples that are maybe not that easy to adopt like right away as a as a mm-hmm. consumer an individual, but these are definitely things that we believe would would, do, uh, would come a long way to, to help getting out of this crisis.
2: Well, yeah, it's all got to start somewhere, you know. So even if it seems far away, just knowing about it.
0: And you've logged so far, you've logged 60. We can read about all 60 of them on your website, YouTube, vlog, and so forth. How many? Well, you've got, what, a couple of years left,
3: did you say? About a, a year and a half because we will use Northern Hemisphere summer next year to sail from Canada to Europe. So that would bring us back to Europe in the fall of 2024.
0: Okay, so I have a question. So you are very immersed in nature and your lifestyle. You're out on the ocean. And so you are at the same time you're seeking solutions. You're probably witnessing firsthand a lot of the really frightening realities that a lot of people might not even be aware of. Or, you know, you might read an article about it here and there, but you're experiencing this firsthand. And I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Be if that might be extreme weather events that aren't typical. Or <clears throat> I'm really curious if you've run into these these areas of they call them plastic islands or all the microplastics are converging. And have you seen that? And what kinds of things have you seen that just sort of affirm your mission?
2: Yeah, what are the horrible things you've seen and then you can tell us the
3: beautiful things. <laughs> yes, you've exactly. Seen. Yeah. We don't <laughs> only see the solutions, we we look for
1: the solutions, but we do see a few disastrous things as well. Climate is I believe it's going much faster than most, you know, consensus scientists at this point have landed on. So, I definitely feel that We are now seeing things that are off the charts and that the climate scientists are trying to reconcile their models with the actual observations and that is that's bad news it's very scary so we have seen strange things we've seen melting glaciers in many places but most notably we documented the melting glacier in Patagonia southern Chile where a lot of glaciers actually feed into the sea so we could actually sail up there into the fjord next to the glacier wall and we were stunned to see that there's no icebergs floating around anymore like you know the Pilot was indicating that we were sailing with. There wasn't a single cube of ice. There was a beach half a mile wide of just mud and sand where the glacier retreated so much. And it was just melting. And we we anchored the boat and we walked there. We documented it with our drone. And it was like, it felt so sad to actually see this magnificent landscape disappearing under your eyes. And also the responsibility, like, oh my gosh, we are the last generation that could somehow avoid, you know, an escalating crisis. And you also realize that all the melting water you see coming into the fjord is contributing to sea level rise everywhere. So that was a very, very dark uh, place. But other climate-related things is just, well, obviously the oceans are changing. The the oceans are getting warmer. The water, the currents are getting less predictable, which leads to weird weather. Storms start sooner in the season, last longer in the season, go to places where they normally don't go. Uh, The good news, obviously, for us sailors is that the, short-term weather forecasts like the satellite-based weather forecast and the communication means of us to to getting that information as better than ever so it's 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 both you know that it's the storms become more unpredictable but for us it's easier to see where they're at and not to get caught up in them but and a, a last thing that's climate related and also very shocking to see is that because of the warmer water a lot of corals that we found especially in the pacific ocean we saw many corals that were severely damaged due to the warm water so the coral start to bleach and a lot of it later then dies and it takes time for the coral to restore but that's more difficult because of the hurricanes getting stronger and the water continues to be periodically warm so the result is just a lot of dead coral and a lot of lush biodiversity on the coral reefs and not everywhere we've seen healthy places too fortunately but yeah when you when you see that the dead coral then you realize gosh this is really really bad another bad
3: one is biodiversity loss um you we saw so many deforested areas Uh, around the world. We have seen animals uh, or we've had to look for animals that have become so so difficult to spot because they're close to extinction. For example in New Zealand we've been to some islands where there are still some native birds left because they've been very isolated islands and where they've had pest pest control, what they call pest control. But on, on other places in, in, the, in the country, a lot of those native birds have disappeared already. So I think the rate that we're losing species, different animal species is off the charts. And it's something that's out of our view usually when you live in a city or, but when you're visiting uh, far away, places and you're expecting to see animals, but you really have to use a microscope, so to say, to, to find them. It's very confronting.
1: Yeah. And uh, also the, the underwater species like the sharks are, a lot of type of sharks are threatened with extinction. Around hundred million sharks are caught annually worldwide, roughly, mostly because of the fins that are popular. In Asia for the shark fin soup, but also as bycatch for all kinds of other species. As an apex predator, they keep the oceans healthy. With them disappearing, uh, it
3: affects a lot of the downstream species as well. We have seen a lot of pollution, a lot of it in the ocean, but we must realize that what we see is only the tip of the iceberg because 95% of the plastic sinks. And it goes into the ocean and ends up in stomachs of fish, of turtles, of whales. And, and, and in, can, our, in, in our in seafood. And, and that's a message that
1: yeah. I think needs to be reinforced. That naturally, when, when you see a bird entangled in a piece of plastic or a turtle in a fishing net, you know those are the most visible, impactful images, which is obviously terrible for the non-human life. But I think we also need to realize that all these enormous amounts of plastic that will disintegrate into microplastics over time, will enter the food chain, will enter our seafood, will enter our bodies. So it is very much a human survival problem as well.
3: And the last crisis that we see in different, in many different countries as well is huge social inequality, whether it be in Brazil or Argentina or Chile or even Mauritius and, and here in South Africa. I think it's another very big challenge that needs to be tackled, not just for for people's sake, but also if you are in such a desperate state, you know, all you care about is surviving. And at the same time, if you have all the riches in the world, you don't have much eye for the environment, you know, or for social equality necessarily either.
1: Yeah. And uh, and that reminds me of our time in the Mediterranean. We spent a year in the Mediterranean and there's an enormous amount of of huge super yachts there, which obviously the owners consume way too much, way more than their fair share of materials and energy, which obviously cannot be reached by everyone on, on earth, which makes it in our view unsustainable. Whereas on the other end of the scale, there's desperate people from Africa trying to find a better life in Europe. And they, they're desperate and, you know, try to reach the shores in, in, in unseaworthy boats and a lot of them drown. And these people are obviously also not uh, occupied with ecological sustainability. All they worry about is survival. So that when you sail there, that makes you realize that we cannot tackle the ecological crisis without tackling the social crisis as well, which makes the com- the challenge A lot more complex, perhaps, but nevertheless, uh, we need to deal with that.
2: That's such an interesting point, because a lot of times the conversation around sustainability can feel like it stops with social equity. There's a sense sometimes, at least here in the West, that sustainability is inaccessible. So it's not fair to talk about it. It's not fair to expect everyone to live sustainably. But I love what you're saying, because... It's flipping that on its head and saying that no, that's where the conversation actually has to start in order to be effective at all. We have to start there, and it's the most important part of it because you're right. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we, if someone, of course, is doesn't know where they're going to get their next meal from, of course, they're not worried about single-use plastic. So that's what we have to tackle first.
1: Yeah, and obviously, yeah, we, we can we can talk a lot about the crisis, and I think a lot of people are familiar with that. Uh, the, the greatest solutions that we have found are those ones that tackle a multitude of these challenges at the same time. And as one that I would love to point out when we were in Brazil, and Brazil is a country where we thought, okay, we will find a lot of deforestation, we will find a lot of social inequality. And, and yes, we found that. But we also found in Brazil, a lot of people who were actually turning the tide and fighting both uh, at once where people were actively growing food together with the forest. So we found initiatives around food forestry and agroecology where actually nature was being restored, a lot of yield was being achieved and social goals were tackled. And there was such a great example where we visited a coffee forest, which was run as a cooperative and, and just a little bit of background on how that got started, because the industrial agricultural model basically looks at the earth as a resource, like something to, you know, exploit. So it starts with a rainforest and then people will buy that piece of land. They will sell the hard food. They will burn the rest. They will plant a monoculture crop like coffee and they will exhaust the soil using agricultural poisons and, and and synthetic fertilizers and optimize the yields for like 20 30 years until the soil is basically dead and then and employ people at a low wage yeah employ people at a low wage and don't care about you know the health consequences of using all these agricultural poisons on them and so it's, it's very much a short term yield focused money optimizing uh, thing and at the end of the road, there's just a valueless piece of land that remains. It's like barren, it's dead. And I was thrilled to learn that that doesn't necessarily have to be the end of the road. Because then it becomes an economic opportunity for people with less money to buy that piece of land, to replenish it, to regenerate it with natural vegetation, let nature regrow things first with native plants then planted agricultural systems that work together with biodiversity to grow a very great coffee yield over time in combination with other crops and that's being done by a group of people who started doing that cooperatively each family working on their own plot of land providing like a a good life for them it even brought families that used to be farmers but couldn't make it under the old system, brought them back from the slums of Rio de Janeiro. So we thought it was such an inspiring story of how ecological and social positive change can go hand in hand, even in a troubled situation in Brazil. That's amazing.
0: Very encouraging.
2: Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms, wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com.
0: You see so much of these things and these these desperate circumstances. How do you deal with eco-grief, ecological anxiety? Do you just keep your eyes on the prize and just keep going for solutions? Is that what gets you through all of this?
1: Well, it's a great question. We do have our moments where we also feel pain and anxiety and sometimes hopelessness. And those are the moments where I say to Floris, oh my gosh, our culture is beyond saving. So we definitely have these moments where we feel down ourselves. But then we visit someone
3: who is... Despite everything, putting a solution into practice and they always inspire us so much, you know, their drive and their going against the current, no matter what it takes, that is just contagious and it gives us uh, energy and hope and a a will to keep on going and, and giving them a voice like you do, which is why I think you are such an important piece of the puzzle as well giving people a voice, people that are not often heard, because often they're modest about what they're doing, but they are the ones who are already applying the techniques that we need for a more future-proof, for a more sustainable way, way of doing things be it, you know, living a slower life, using more natural fibers. I think you, the other day you had somebody on wool insulation or on bamboo or, you know, the way we treat nature, just being more respectful for nature, hearing more indigenous voices uh, on how they view nature and, and our position on this earth, what our role is. So I think in the mainstream media, to use that term, but uh, in, in the the loud voices that you hear on television, on on the internet and on the radio, those voices are often lost and are overshadowed by those negative news. So we feel that the positive stories are much more a driver than those negative things. And that's why we keep on going.
1: Yes. And it's not a saying that we invented, but we like to use it because I think it tells a lot of truth. And that goes, as the smoke in the global theater thickens, the exit signs will shine brighter. From my personal experience when we left for this expedition in 2016, we often had to explain to people what sustainability even means and why we were doing what we're doing. And we find nowadays that a lot of people now are acutely aware of the situation we're in and a lot of things need to be done and a lot of things need to be happening. So in a way, I think people are more open to change because they see that we need to, and not for their own sake, but also for the sake of the next generations. So I think that is a really positive sign. And now is the moment where change might become possible. So the last thing we should do now is give up. It is it is here and now, I think the next 10, 20 years, we need to turn this around and we can. And I think I put a lot of hope of humanity's past achievements. This is the time where A lot of people increasingly see the need for change. So this is the time where we should actively push for this change and the time for change is now and so the last thing we should do is give up and throw our hands in the air i think you know it's all going haywire and yeah. we have reason to be positive about humanity's ability to achieve change if you think about the abolition of slavery which was a remarkable societal change in a time where the leading economical interests were in support of, of slavery so that. That was a huge change. Think about yeah. the, uh, the the social change around equal rights for women and the implementation of democracy. So throughout history, there have been plenty of examples of remarkable change for the good. And we can do that again.
2: That's such a good point yes. to remember about how far we have come and how much has changed even as rapidly as things are declining they're also increasing in awareness and creative solutions and it's really encouraging to hear you say that so I have a quick question a quick like technical question and then I believe my mom has another question and then we might start to wrap up my question is, I guess, related to the solutions. Do you hear about someone doing something cool and you say, we're gonna go there? Or do you say, we're gonna go there and then we're just gonna walk around and see who we see? Or how do you connect with all of these solutions, I guess? And how yeah. much of that is pre-planned?
3: It's all three. We do a lot of research before we go to a place because we know more or less know the okay. route that we are going to sail because it's weather and wind and season dependent. So we know now sure. we we'll go to Namibia, to name an example. So we'll do research online what kind of solutions are there to be found in Namibia. Now, Namibia is easy because it's English speaking. You know, other countries will it's more difficult to find when you don't speak the language so well. Uh, once we've identified some <coughs> solutions online, we'll Oh, you might hear the seagulls. Sorry about that. Once we found some some, uh, solutions online, we'll contact those people and, and see if we can visit them. They are often very welcoming. So we'll visit those people. And then people that we've identified will often have other contacts, other ideas of things happening in the country and the same might be true for let's say we go to an organic shop in a country and the people there will know of other of good examples happening in town because they're more connected in sort of that world so it's it's finding the right people in a place and then sometimes we also get suggestions and we invite your listeners as well because we are coming to the united states we get reactions from people via our website saying oh if you're coming there be, be sure to check out these people or have you heard about that organization and that's how we sometimes stumble upon great examples as well that sounds so, so
0: fun <laughs> my mind is buzzing with with ideas for you so i'm curious about what is the day in the life of you guys like the day in the life of sustainable sailors i know sometimes you're on shore and you're doing this work how many days are you doing that as opposed to just being at sea? And what, it's like, what is it like just being at sea all day for days on end? You know, what do you do? You get up in the morning and what do you do?
1: So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, our days are very, so very different. So when we are at sea, and especially when we're on a long, long passage, so we, we sail in shifts. So the boat steers itself for most of the time. We have an autopilot. But we do keep an all-time watch just to take care, let's see, uh, monitor auto shipping and, you know, monitor the weather and the course so one of us is always awake and obviously the weather is very important when the weather is calm we can you know cook and and ride and try to catch fresh fish on the boat but when the sea is rough then you know life on board becomes more or less surviving you just worry about staying fit and try to eat and drink enough so that takes a lot of energy
3: but when we are at anchor mm-hmm. or on land in a marina a day is very different then we explore the surroundings uh, preferably on foot and we do a lot of research when we have internet we know we have to get a local data card and and then we can do research we meet people we go and visit so we have to organize transport and uh, figure out a way to get there and then we interview the people and we have to then come back and Write the article, do all the editing for the for the video, and actually, I'll sometimes have to finish an article with a deadline for a magazine or for a newsletter. We work, we try to work with as many partners as possible that can distribute this, these sustainable solutions either via their newsletter or on their blog or like you on a podcast. So that all takes a lot of work, and then we have to run really our NGO, which is also trying to get funding, trying to get partners, trying to get the message out there on our social media channels. And that sometimes is a day job in itself, trying to just reach as many people. And in addition to that, we are running the sailboat. And our daily life. So, we have to think about groceries, <laughs> doing the laundry, and getting provisions. Yeah, uh, and,
1: and especially, saying, uh, I'm the more technical guy on the boat, you know, with my engineering. Background, something always
3: breaks. Something <laughs> always
1: <laughs> breaks. And we also have scheduled <laughs> maintenance on the boat for paintwork and other repairs. So, there's, there's Root, really. Uh, uh,
3: route planning. So, we yeah. have to figure out that's a lot of time as well. Like, where can we even anchor? Or where, where can we go to a marina? How much does it cost? Is it deep enough for us to go there? What are the immigration requirements? Do we need to
1: prepare arrival oh, yeah. with sending them forms ahead of time, etc., etc.? But sometimes we also have time for, you know, meeting friends and other sailors, international sailors, local sailors, exchange stories, you know, have drinks and dinner, so we also have our uh, relaxing moments. But yeah, it's really never a dull moment.
0: Oh, sounds
3: really busy.
2: <laughs> yeah. You, do you guys have a, an admin team? <laughs> sounds like
3: It's you. all yeah, us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> is there anybody like digitally working for you? We're
3: constantly are on the lookout for more volunteers who help us with research or with editing and things like that. Yeah. So that's, that's helping a little bit. And then we also have spots for what we call trainees on board because a lot of people are interested in joining a sailboat, but we say, okay, when you join us, you're not just joining a sailboat, you become part of the NGO. And you help with everything that the mm-hmm. NGO does, which is, you know, which whatever, is what, whatever what, what, your strength is, what be, it, yeah, <laughs> be it writing or editing or research or trying to get funding <laughs> yeah. uh, and people can help in that way as well.
0: So I have a quick question for both of you. It's a big question, but it's a quick question. You don't have to think too hard about it. But can each of you speak to a low point and a high point so far?
3: A low point on this trip was for me when we sailed nonstop from French Polynesia to New Zealand, which took 30 days. And in the middle of it, we saw a storm coming on the weather charge that we get via satellite and we couldn't escape it. We couldn't go to any other country because they were closed. And anyway, it was developing so fast and right in our path that it shen- it actually set- sent shivers down our backs, thinking, OK, uh, what is go- this going to do to our boat and will we survive this? We made everything ready for the worst case you know we we unlocked the life raft we grab a bag that we call the grab bag which has all the essentials in it that we take with us in our life raft and just prepared the boat in in the best way that we could um, taking all the sails down except our very small sail and just hoped for the best but prepared for the worst and then when the storm actually came you know you you see the wind building up, the waves building up and you're just very anxious and you wonder how bad is this going to get how much more wind how much bigger waves and how will the boat deal with it and actually when it came and it was at its daytime so that was nice at least you're seeing something and we saw the boat behaving really well we have an, an a steering system that works on the wind you set it to a wind angle and then it stay keeps that angle so we we that alone steered the boat and it worked really well it kept us surfing off the waves steadily by By the end of the day, it it calmed down a little bit and we knew the worst was over and we had regained faith in our boat, but also in ourselves. So that was a big relief. And then we made it to New Zealand and just a few days later in that same area was an actual hurricane. So just even stronger winds and we knew we had just timed it. We had just reached New Zealand in time. That was a low point but a high point was not much later in the same country in New Zealand we visited a Maori woman in a forest and that forest as well as a river and a mountain in New Zealand have received legal personality in recognition of the Maori worldview which is that we humans are the guardians of nature. We cannot appropriate nature we belong to it and we have a responsibility towards it to preserve it for future generations and that means we do not take more than it can replenish and we certainly not like we have as a view in the west we do not destroy it or take as much until there's nothing left we do not pollute it so that worldview, i then thought if we if more people we all adopt that that can really save nature because it it will transform the way we treat it it will transform us as a person we will internalize sustainability and re- and see it as our responsibility to look after the planet
1: and that is i think what we really need in this world yes and for me uh, low point is definitely missing friends and family back home, you know, there's so many things that happen back home, good things and bad things, kids being born, people getting sick, some people dying, and then we're not there when it happens, we're not there to, you know, to to help them. So so that's difficult that I really miss that a lot. We have nephews and nieces that were very little when we left and now they're much bigger. We haven't been part of their lives the way we could have been. Uh, Although we we do our best to keep in touch with as many people as possible, a modern internet means like video and WhatsApp, and that that really really helpful maybe compared to even ten years ago. That's great, but still it doesn't fully compensate the the feel feeling of of yeah missing them. So that's definitely for me um, a low. And yeah, on a high uh, there's lots of highs fortunately, but one that I would like to mention especially I have great memories of sailing in Patagonia, the south of. Chile and Argentina which is a really sa- a challenging sailing area because it's really remote. It's the weather can be rough and the charts are not always reliable but there's really still so much wildlife there. There's original nature, there's lots of seals and whales and birds and crabs, there's there's enormous abundance of wildlife still, fortunately. Maybe the way it was like even thousand years ago, and it really struck me that you know this is still there. Fortunately, it's not too late. Yes, there's many places on the earth that are devastated. We see images of pollution, or bleached coral reefs, or overfished places, with lots of plastic, which is all there and it's all real. But fortunately, there's also a lot of pristine nature left fortunately we could we could help it we could save ourselves by saving it and i think that is really encouraging for me it was at least to see that and that that gave me a lot of hope that you know we could do more to save ourselves by helping nature i think that's where it comes down to in the end
2: so well said i have a quick question if you don't mind sharing with us how Are you able to fund this adventure? I think you mentioned saving up. Was it all planned ahead of time and saved up, or are you able to generate any revenue while you're on your journey?
1: (laughs) Both. Uh, Both. A a Dutch person would start it off with this question. Yes.
3: (laughs) You were very patient asking. Uh,
1: We saved up. We
3: saved up, and then and we we do two things in addition. We try to have a low cost style of living, which means anchoring not buying stuff our biggest expenses are are boat related those things sometimes you need to replace because they break we anchor as much as we can we fish or we gather food locally where we can so that's one aspect the other aspect is we do try to fundraise along the way one way is to write articles and blogs for magazines that sometimes pays some money we upload our videos first to patreon we try to get patrons to uh, to just on a voluntary basis support us and they get to see our videos two weeks before everybody else because in the end we say our goal is to share all of our stories be open source make them available for as many people as possible but just as sort of a funding incentive we'll we'll share them with those who support us financially for as little as three dollars a video or so we share them two weeks in, in, in advance and those are, and then sometimes we get donations from yep. from people who just support us because they they enjoy reading about the solutions or they they have sympathy with what we do.
1: Yeah, and also more and more uh, since we've been going for almost seven years, and we have found so many great stories. We have a lot of excitement to share i think in the beginning of our trip we were mostly trying to absorb stories and to collect and i think more and more the balance has now shifted to sharing stories we also give presentations yeah we also give presentations to organizations and companies know how to find us and that also brings in uh, some financial support so that's really great and that will hopefully get us back home
0: amazing so one question we ask all of our guests before we start to wind up is what does slow living mean to you?
3: Slow living, in short, is what we try to do as uh, as we travel around the world on a sailboat. It means quitting the rat race. Uh, You know, creating time for yourself, not focusing on material things, but rather on time and quality and relationships. It's downsizing, so maybe going to live in a tiny house, owning less stuff, having more of a minimalist lifestyle, traveling more slowly and source food more locally and more seasonably. There's a whole movement for that, which is called the slow food
1: movement. Yeah, we document that story in Italy, yeah. (laughs)
3: Um, But also becoming more sustainable from within. You know, it's a concept that I just talked about how you see yourself in this world what do you see as your responsibility to, towards other people how do you treat other people how do you treat nature and those i think are some key elements to slower living but also yeah. that means more conscious living and more environmentally friendly and more social living.
1: Yes, and um, that's very, very well said, Flores. A few practical additions for me, sometimes we get asked how fast is a sailboat, and then my answer is, well, average is like five to six knots, but for the non that's that's slightly faster than walking and slightly slower than running. So it's basically as slow as you can travel. Sometimes we take weeks to get to another destination where with an airplane you could get there within hours but obviously we don't have a jet lag we have a lot of time in our hands along the way to to reflect to read to you know catch our own food and to to cook and i We've been on the other side of the coin in our previous busy corporate lives. You know, we were always working, working and never had time to to cook. And um, so then you depend completely on what other people put in it. You just consume it and then you go on. And and for example, when you cook yourself, you are much more aware of what goes in and you only put in good stuff because you you have to eat it yourself. It's simple things like that. Even though we, we, we try to buy best uh, coffee available, which you know pays the farmer well and it's grown without poison so typically organic and you you just cook hot water put it on a filter and let it slowly drip instead of you know buying something quick so even yeah on the boat we have the time to make and drink slow coffee
2: so gentlemen what does the good dirt mean to you
3: Oh, I mean, it ties in so perfectly with our mission because it focuses you guys focus on solutions that we can really apply in our everyday lives and and many of the solutions that you describe you also discussed on your podcasts we noticed like regenerative farming or using natural fibers or slow food and slow living you address climate change and we too like you are all about information sharing so people can make more informed choices that are better for the planet and for humanity and you guys give a voice to those people who are already applying the techniques that we need for a more sustainable future but whose voices are not always heard because so much, so much focus is on the negative news. So we really enjoy your podcast because it focuses on what is possible and what is the, the positive
1: side of the story. On a metaphorical basis, I think of the soil. So, you know, the good soil is the basis of all life. And quite literally, we've been documenting a dozen stories around you know, farming in sync with nature and the way industrial monoculture farming is depleting the soil, in the end, killing the food system. And as more and more people realize that and find better ways, the good dirt is really the basis of all life and of a healthy food future. So I think that is a very well chosen term. That's, that's yeah. my.
3: Yeah, the, the professor who took us to Brazil to this example of agroecology where the farmers had a cooperative and ran their own coffee farm she said
1: she was a soil scientist
3: yeah she was a soil scientist and when we asked her about agroecology she said in the end we eat the soil we eat what's grown in the soil and the plants get all their nutrients from the soil so in essence we eat the soil so we have to take the best care we can of the soil and not poison it but enrich it
1: yeah and then a the soil will take care of vice words from Irene cordoso yes yeah.
3: yes
2: what a wonderful way to wrap up our conversation you've mentioned a few ways already but just so we have it here for us easy to reference how can people find you and follow your journey and how can they support you
3: in many ways so one way to find us is on our website sailors for sustainability.nl which gives away our dutch roots but it's all in english sailors for sustainability with the same terms they can find us on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and we try to be as active there as possible and on Patreon as well that's also a way to follow and to support us on our website we have a separate section that says support us and it it shows the many ways, you know. If people want to share our, our articles or our videos, that already helps us just get the message out. And it and most importantly, it helps those many people who are working, you know, the ones that we've described in those articles and videos, it helps them get better known and their solutions reach more people. Another great way is if people know of companies or other individuals who can help us spread their stories because You know, they can be included in a newsletter or in a blog or in a magazine. They can contact us about that. Or Um, if they have great ideas. Ideas,
1: yeah. Great uh, leads for new stories around exciting, innovative, sustainable uh, activities or projects that are going on in their area. This also would be highly appreciated if people want to share that. And
3: finally, a great way to support not us, but the cause is to really realize your own potential we say never underestimate your own power as an individual as a consumer you make choices every day as a parent or as a child or as a teacher as a neighbor but you're also a voter. You're maybe an employer or an employee. Or an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. You can be you can set an example in every step you make, in every choice you make in your lives. And you will inspire others if you do, if you give the right example. So you know, keep setting the right example, keep inspiring no matter what you hear in the street, no matter what other people think of you. You will inspire someone and never underestimate your power in that.
0: Thank you. It's wonderful. This has been such a fabulous conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. You have made my day, made our day. And thanks so much for being with us. It was just wonderful talking to you and we will be in touch.
3: Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for helping us spread our stories, the story of the people we've documented. And thank you also for the great work you are doing.
1: Yes. Thanks Lord. lot. It's a really big pleasure to be on your show.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Bye
2: bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443 459 1950. That's 443 459 1950.
0: You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow-living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram
2: at Farmer. That's Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.